Good morning, church. We're starting this new series, and today we are talking about new, not neutral. Now, for a few years, I, part of my job was to go and speak at some camps and some retreats. But I love doing this. You get to fly to a city and meet some people, meet some high schoolers, middle schoolers, some new uh, youth pastors you didn't know before. You try to do your best. You worship like them. If they like you at the end, you feel great for a long time. If they dislike you, you fly home and, and beat yourself up for a while. But it was interesting. No matter where you went, many times the, the retreat would start the same. It was the same passage that would be opened up to. Someone would step forward and emphatically open the scriptures to Isaiah 43 and read, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. And then the electric guitar would start with some long, powerful chord. And then the drums would start, usually the toms and the bass drum. A voice would start and this music would burst out. And for Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night and Sunday, we would go on doing the same thing that we did before. We would expect that God would do something new, but we remained the same. We stayed in the same format, the same structure. And God met us there every time. But I was struck that we didn't change. We just continued to expect God to move in the same ways. Now, for these last few months... All of life's been different, right? We've been safe at home. For a while, we had only left for groceries. And then some of us left for groceries and for work. Maybe some medical appointments, other things like that. Leave for a walk safely far away from everybody else. Then we began to leave for protest. And really, a lot of the protest is about people not feeling safe at home. And so if I can't really be safe at home and I can't be safe in my life, then I'm going to go draw attention to the fact that I should be able to. And through this, our church is being redefined. Every church is being redefined. The church never closed, the church never left, but we've needed to learn to record and, and join each other virtually and, and meet needs through Zoom and other things like that. All of a sudden, everything goes more technological. This week, there are different backyards that we're meeting in. And many of us are still meeting on our couches or around our tables, but others are meeting in backyards, safely distanced from one another with our masks on, listening and, and straining our eyes to the TV or the computer. This is a new thing. But I believe in this season God is doing a new thing. But with God doing a new thing, we can never go back to normal. We can no never go back to what was, particularly because it didn't work for everybody. What was didn't work. We were used to it, so we stayed in it. But we've got to become something new. And that's what this series is about. That's so why I want to pray, and then we're going to begin looking at new, not neutral. So pray with me. Jesus, I truly love you. You're powerful, you're majestic, you're good. I pray that in my words that, that you come through, that you pierce our hearts, that you open our eyes and our ears, that we experience a newness of you, and, and that in response to that, well, we live different. God, expose places where we have lived as if neutral was actually neutral. And call us to, to action, call us to movement, call us to you. 
in your name. Amen. So to begin this, we're going to start with this myth of neutrality. And the church in the United States has really bought into this one. Has bought into the idea that the church can be a third party, an outside observer to what's happening in culture. The church has often acted like we could be silent and above situations and that we could stick to the gospel. And when it is said in that way, within the myth of neutrality, the gospel is meant to be when you die, where do you go? And the only part of the good news is about eternity, nothing about life right here. And so we separate the gospel from how and where we live now, or how and who we live with in these days. But the gospel is bigger than that. The gospel is this full life, this full freedom that we're invited into. The, the gospel is Jesus living with and within you and me, empowering us to be the beloved, as we have just talked about for week after week. And today, I want to read for you a story from the Old Testament. And we're first going to read it as neutral. We're first going to read it as outside observers. Because, well, that's what many of us have believed our role as the church is to be. And then we're going to see what God does. So the story is found in, in Genesis 21, in verses 9 and 10. It's recorded like this. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. So here's the setting. There's Abraham. And there's these two women that he knows well and had children with both of them, Hagar and Sarah. And then there's the two children, Ishmael and the younger Isaac. And the kids are playing together. And Sarah, this new mother, the mother of, of Isaac, looks on and she disapproves of what's happening. But they're really innocently playing with one another. The, the word play with, which is in our English Bibles, is actually translated into making him laugh, which is the meaning of the word Isaac. And so Ishmael is calling out of Isaac the very thing that he has named. Sarah disapproves. And so Sarah goes to Abraham and says to cast out this slave and her son to protect her inheritance. Never mind that they have a relationship. Never mind that Hagar has served Sarah for years. Never mind that Ishmael, Hagar's son, was actually Sarah's idea. The whole affair that happened was actually happened because Sarah first recommended that it happen. See, now that Isaac is here, Hagar and Ishmael become a slave, and the slave's child, they become a threat. As we go on into verse 14, we see, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. And he sent her away, and she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. 
Then she went off and sat opposite of him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And then she sat opposite of him. She lifted up her voice and wept. So Hagar departed. But she didn't go home to Egypt. She didn't have a way back home. Her place was disrupted. And so she just wandered. And when her water was gone, she put her son in the shade and she walked uh, the distance that a bow and arrow would be away from her son so that she could weep. So she didn't hear her son die and that her son didn't hear her crying out. Now, if the church is neutral, then the U.S. culture tells the story. And the story reinforces the culture. That's the way that this works. If, if the church remains neutral in a situation, then the culture that the church belongs within defines the story, and the story just reinforces what the story and narrative of the culture already is. So this would become the story. There's an immigrant mother, an African mother, who has a child of mixed race. The dad is with another woman, and this mother doesn't have a place to live. This mother can't care for her kid. This mother abandons her child at the time that the child needs her the most. This mother is unfit and undeserving. If the church remains neutral, the story the culture says is that this son is the one that you should watch for, you should be nervous about because he wasn't raised right. And if we let the culture narrate, then we're afraid of this promise that God puts on the life of the slave son. We're afraid of this nation that will rise up out of him. We're afraid that he will be a threat to Isaac. And if we're honest about the way that we read scripture, many of us always identify ourselves with the good guy in the story. And in this one, we assume that the good guy is Isaac. And everyone else is bad. And so if the church is neutral, then the broader culture tells the story and the narrative of the story is really that Hagar, that Ishmael, they got what they deserved. But here's the thing. The God of neutrality knew the story before it was written. And neutrality isn't neutral at all. And that God is no God at all. And so if we're worshiping a God who is just neutral and lets culture write the stories around us, then that is no God. And that is definitely not the God that we find in Scripture. Do you want to know how God responds? Let's look here. Verse 17. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. See, God heard. Sure, the narrative is that she's an immigrant, unfit mother. That's what many would say. Sure, 
she should be taking care of this child, but God heard and understood why she was a bow's distance away. Understood the pain of not being able to watch and hear your child die. Understood the pain of being displaced. And God heard not a slave woman. He heard Hagar. He knew her name. God heard Ishmael. And God speaks a promise over him. I will make a great nation of him. And here's the thing. This story is is essential to the Jewish faith. And this story is essential to the Christian faith. And this story is essential to the Muslim faith. And the church that is committed to neutrality doesn't know what to do with that. But the church that is committed to Jesus is in awe of that. But here's the thing that we know about God. God never just says that he loves us and pushes us on our way, right? We looked at James 2 where we're not to do that. We know that God doesn't do that. God doesn't just hear Ishmael's cry and then say, there will be a great nation and then leave him there. No, quite different. In verse 19, it says, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. There's a well of water that nourished the boy. And God was with the boy. This isn't a derogatory the boy. And this isn't a caricature of a dangerous young man who's going to become a man. This is a loving father God who looks down on the cries of a child who is thirsty and meets him with a well of water. And then God is with him. Now this reminds me of Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, right? God with us. Comes to Bethlehem, this place filled with grief and lament and pain, and that's the place he is born fragile as a baby. He is God with us. That's the comfort that I have in this season where I've questioned so much of myself and the life around me. The comfort that I've had is that God is with me. And the best news that I have for you is be well, church, because God is with you. You And we see in this story, when we take off the idea of neutrality, but instead we, we actually look at the text and we see where God's at work, we see that God is with Hagar. And God is with Ishmael. I believe that God is doing a new thing. I think God is opening eyes and opening hearts. But God is doing the same thing he's always done at the same time. And we're invited to respond different by not going back to just life as normal. We get to remove this neutrality from us. It can't exist. We cannot follow Jesus and act like we are above culture. We can't be too holy for the lives of the people around us. We won't find Jesus there. So today, where you are, where I am, I've heard from a few people. They're struggling to find God. They're struggling to see God at work. 
And the question that I have for you is where are you looking? This isn't a question trying to like oppose you or challenge you. This is a sincere question. Where are you looking for God at work? Are you looking under the figurative shade trees where people have been abandoned? Are you looking where the crying mothers are, the ones who feel desperate and without hope? Are you looking in Bethlehem? Is Bethlehem near you where there's people lamenting, there's heaviness, there's grief? Are you looking there because that's the space where God goes? Those are the spaces. Those are the people that God is with. And sometimes we look to lofty theoretical spots for God and we don't find God there. And then we go to like a space where there is real pain and all of a sudden we are filled with the presence of the Lord. I talked to somebody last week who was talking about that they were going to go to this other space and bring Jesus with them. They didn't realize the harm in the statement. They weren't trying to be malicious. But the idea was that God wasn't already there. And I'd just been in the space that they were talking of, and I said, well, in your experience, you're actually going to find that God is already with the people you're going to. And your job is not to bring Jesus as if you... You own him or control him, but instead your job is to go bring your amen to a space where God is already meeting the grief, the lament, the cries for justice and mercy. See, our task right now as we come back to new, our task is to read our lives and our culture in light of this scripture. That's our task, is to begin to see the people around us in light of who Jesus went to in light of who Jesus listened to, who Jesus asked questions of, who Jesus invited in, and all of a sudden, this book and our culture look radically different. It's time for us to comb our hearts, our lives, our families, the structures we're built on, the way that we spend, the way that we do everything, and say, Jesus, this is yours. What would you do with this? Not as like some silly bracelet, but as an actual sincere question, what would you have me do? And we know what he does. He's the one who lavishes his love on us. He's the one who hears the cry from under the shade tree. He's the one who brings the promise and the well of water. He's the one who has met you in those times where you were desperate and in need have met me when I've cried out as well. God is doing something new. May we be people who join him. If you're needing someone to talk to and you're not in one of the backyards, I want to encourage you to to go to this uh, phone number, this Zoom number. There's some counselors who, who will meet you there. Even on this website, you can click prayer request and someone will be assigned to you and would love to pray with you, talk with you. Let's walk through this. Let's do the hard work of being transformed by hope together. All right. Be well, church. I love you all.